Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. So we're going to be looking this morning at Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read probably as long a passage as I would typically read on a Sunday morning, but we're just going to do some Bible study this morning on what I believe to be a very pertinent topic for us today, and I hope that you came to learn something this morning. We've been reading the book of Luke as our book of the month, and I hope that you try to read through the gospel of St. Luke one time between now and the end of the month. If you haven't started it, you've you got a lot of reading you're up against, but we'll be finishing off uh, in the next few days with the book of Luke and a very important uh, passage out of that book we'll be looking at this morning. I want you to read along with me in Luke chapter 15, beginning verse 11, the Bible says, And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And bring a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, God Allows Us to Come Back Home. God Allows Us to Come Back Home. Pray with me, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your patience and your love with your people. Father, I pray today that you would speak to us from your word. Lord, I ask that you would anoint my mouth and my mind, God. Let me say things that would honor you. Let me say things, God, that would encourage us to be and do all that you've called us to be and do. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in the world. Father, we thank you for what you're going to accomplish in this place now. We give you honor and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
God allows us to come back home. I always say if you don't get anything, get this, because I know the longer I go, the more people are going to fade out. So sometimes I like to make sure you get something before you hit your zone out button and you just get too deep in thought about everything other than what I'm saying. But you got to realize that if you're a Christian, if you've ever been a Christian for any length of time, there's going to be ups and downs. In life, for Christians and non-Christians, there's going to be good days, bad days, happy days, sad days. There's going to be good days where you feel awesome and days where you don't feel awesome. And there's going to be times when you really walk close to the Lord, and there's going to be times when you don't walk as close to the Lord as you know you should. But we need to realize and keep in our mind at all times, God allows us to come back home. See, it's like... When you start getting older and you start stretching past your curfew, going out longer than you should, doing things away from the house that you know you shouldn't, usually you go home. But if you keep going home and it keeps getting worse and it keeps getting worse and you keep coming in later and you keep coming in more high than you used to or or more in trouble than you used to, a, a, a natural parent might even get to the point sometimes where they tell them, that's it. You can't live here, what? No more. You got to what? Go. And they, they will, a natural parent will do that. But we need to understand that God has more patience than natural parents. And God always allows us the opportunity to come back home. So no matter where you find yourself, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, if you ever find yourself in a position in a place where you're not comfortable being spiritually, I want you to know the door to God's house is still open. If it was ever open for you, it's still open for you. If you ever walked through it before, you can walk through it again. Why am I starting off with this so adamantly this morning? Because I know this. Too many people have drifted away from the Father. Still coming to church every time the doors are open, but not close to the Father. Still coming to church, still encased in the trappings of modern-day Christianity, but not really walking with God on a day-to-day basis. See, it's awesome to be able to say, I go to so-and-such church. Oh, I fellowship over there with this group of people. And I, I'm involved at my church on Sunday morning. I've told you for years, and I'm certain of it, God is less impressed by where we park our cars on Sunday morning than he is concerned about how we live our life Monday through Friday. It's that Monday through Friday life that you need to make, make a check on. Anybody can show up on Sunday morning and come to church. But we've got to understand that as we live as Christians, that there are going to be times where we wander away from Daddy's house. Not just on Sunday morning in church, all week long, all month, all year, sometimes or even longer. But we need to be thankful that we live in a, in a kingdom where our heavenly Father doesn't change the locks on the doors. Mine, no. Move out of my house. You don't have to leave the key, because the first thing I do, I change the locks. Be coming back to my house. Oh, oh, hi, Dad. Uh, you're out of town for the weekend, so I just decided to come home last Thursday. You knew I wasn't going to be in you? Change the locks. God doesn't change the locks. 
if you ever knew how to get to him, you can always still get to him because his loving kindness and his tender mercy is without end. But this is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. Most people call this story the parable of the prodigal son. And surely most people that have been saved for any length of time have found themselves uh, able to relate to this person that we refer to as the prodigal son. But the story isn't really about the prodigal son because he's only a piece of this pie. There's another son, the older son. Some some commentators call him the self-righteous or the indignant son. Uh, But it's not really about either one of the sons. It's really more about... The father. It's not about the waywardness of the son. It's about the waiting of the father. I want you to know this morning, this is a story about the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. See, I don't, I don't know what kind of songs they're listening to or writing now because I don't listen to a bunch of new music. I listen to a bunch of old music because I'm an old guy and I like what I like. But the new stuff all sounds the same to me. Works for you, let it work for you. I'm going to do what, what works for me. But old songs that say very basic, easy to understand, true, great is thy faithfulness. See, that, that, that very concept, biblical as it is, hymn book as it is, is enough to get my mind right through any trial that I'm in. He's faithful all the time. He's faithful in the midst of struggle, and he's faithful in the midst of advancement. He's the same God that is the God of the mountain will always be the God of the valley, whether we recognize that or not. We've just got to make it up in our mind that God's not the one changing. See, if you've drifted, if you and God have drifted apart, you did all the drifting because God don't move. The Bible says he's seated on his throne. So if you're not close to him anymore, somebody moved, but it wasn't God. So this parable of the prodigal son has been incorrectly called that for centuries when it really should be the parable about the waiting and the faithful father. But we need to understand that in life things are going to happen and and sometimes you're going to find yourself in trouble. But do you realize this morning if you're slipping, he's stable. If you're fading, he's faithful. If you're stumbling, he's steadfast. If you're wayward, he's waiting. And when you're faltering, he's always faithful. You just got to learn how to hold on to him and let go of you. You got to learn how to hold on to him and let go of your habits. You got to learn how to hold on to him and let go of the television, the internet, and talking to your friends. See, now people call it venting. I, I was venting. That's just another word for bitter, negative, critical, hateful, mean-spirited, complaining. I was venting. No, you, sh- we, you were venting when you should have been praying. Venting gets you nothing. Praying gets you better. So we need to know that God is faithful and that he is there. If you don't get anything, get that. He's there. Where? Everywhere. Everywhere. The Bible says there's nowhere you can go to get away from him. The highest mountain, the lowest valley, the deepest part of the ocean, the farthest part of outer space. You will never find yourself in a place where God is inaccessible to you. But we do find ourselves often in places where we are not accessing him. 
And that's on us, and it's not on them, on him, and we need to figure out how to get past this stuff. Let's look at these verses and just do a little bit of Bible study this morning. Look at Luke 15, 11. And he said, well, the he here is talking about Jesus. Jesus has been teaching in parables for a long time to this crowd. He, a, a parable means literally to lay two things alongside each other. It's a, it's a comparison of two different things. Some people say it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's like an analogy, but it starts with two things that contrast as they parallel, and he pulls out some truth for us to understand. I've told you for years, when you're studying a parable, the the wrong thing to do, the mistake, the trap is to try to figure out what each person in the parable represents and how each part of the parable fits in to our life and relates to us. But I've been telling you for years, the proper way to study a parable is to realize that there's only how many main points? Only one main point. When you read a parable, Jesus is not trying to teach what this person represents, what that person represents, who this is, what the town represented, what the weather meant. He's trying to teach one main point. We say it like this, the moral of the story. When you hear someone say the moral of the story, they use a singular form of moral because they're talking about one major point. And as you study parables in the Bible, make sure that you're looking for one main point, not just trying to figure out who the cast of characters are and what they represent. When verse 11 says, and he said, he being Jesus, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. You can tell that a parable is coming because anytime when Jesus was talking about actual human beings, he gave more description of them. He, he gave them names. He gave them job titles. He said more about them other than just a certain man had two sons. Well, what's the man's name? We don't know. Well, what are his sons' names? We don't know. Why doesn't he tell us the name of the man or the name of the sons? Because it doesn't matter. That's not what's important. That's not the point of the issue. It doesn't matter if the man's name started with an A or a Z. It doesn't matter if the boys had, uh, you know, muscles or were skinny. It doesn't matter which one was taller. It doesn't tell us all these things because that's not the main part of the parable. When he says a certain man had two sons, the vagueness in that statement alone leads us to believe that what is coming forth is a parable. In verse 12, he said, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that followed to me. And he divided unto them his living. Now, mm. this is very uncommon. In, in that day, uh, and it'd be completely uncommon in this day, if either one of my kids came to me and said, Look, old man, I'm leaving. You claim you got money laid up for us. You claim there's a trust fund. You claim that there's an inheritance. You, you claim that we're in a will. Once you crack me off my half now, and I'll just get to stepping. I cut through all that first part and get to the last three words. Get to stepping. You don't get what you get from me 
till I give it. This dude, younger son, he is feeling himself. He had just had all, he got, he's run out of use for his father. Does not see value in his father at all other than his inheritance. And he wants it, and he wants it now. He says, give me what I got coming to me. Now, you don't want to say that in my house. Because I have belts and objects littered throughout my entire house for grabability. And if one of my kids said, just give me what I got coming. According to thy will, be it unto thee. I am a willing participant in all things holy. He said, give me what comes to me. Verse 13, he said, and not many days after the younger son gathered all together, he took a journey into a far country, and there he wasted his substance with riotous living. We don't know what type of riotous living he was doing, but one could guess. We do know that he was the younger of two sons in this story. We do know that his father had substance. We do know that he wanted his before it was his time. That's not unlike people today. We want what we believe is coming our way, but most people want it before the time is right. Listen, if you find yourself dating, you find yourself dating somebody who wants to do certain things with you because they want what's coming to them before the time is right, let them know. There's a time for that and we ain't there. People still want what they want before the time is right. It's like these kids I've been telling y'all about. They want to graduate high school and be able to live in the same house mom and daddy worked 40 years to live in. The time ain't right. Well, give me some money so I can buy a car like yours. Well, you're never going to have a car like mine because if you get one, I'll take it from you. He wanted what he wanted, and he wanted what his dad had, and he wanted to take it and go, and the Bible says he wasted it with riotous living. Now, there, there are people that debate whether or not this is a picture of a lost person, uh, whether this son's showing us a picture of a lost person who gets saved or a backslider who gets right with God. But, but I think the text is eminently clear from the very beginning of the parable. And verse 11 says, a certain man had two sons. Sons. If, you, if, if the man has sons, then the man is their father. And God is not your father until you become a Christian. So these, this is not a picture of a lost person finding true salvation. This is a picture of what Christians are capable of doing if they get their mind off how much they love their dad. There are two types of sons, the younger one and the older one, the mature one and the immature one. As sons of God, we have an inheritance just like this story talks about. We have things coming to us. The Bible says that God, in the King James, it says, He hath given us the earnest of our inheritance. Now, if you've been in real estate for a long time and you understand legalese, you've read contracts that talk about earnest money. Earnest money is what we call a down payment. It's money that says, I'm really buying this. 
I will give you my down payment. I will give you some earnest money as a proof that I am really buying this. The Bible says when you get saved, God's spirit comes to live inside you. That's your earnest of his covenant. That's the down payment God has placed inside you that says, I've already in my mind bought you up into heaven. And he's placed his spirit. We have an inheritance. God has given us a portion of that inheritance through the Holy Ghost. He's given us the down payment on our redemption. And many of us are just like the younger son. We take the blessing of the father and then go off on a journey. But here's the thing. If you look at this story, he came to his dad and said, I want what I got coming to me. Listen, I'm a dad. And it don't say. So we don't know. But I can tell you, if one of my kids came to me, rebellious, ignorant, cocky, mean-spirited, told me to give to him what he's got coming, I'm not giving him a whole bunch. Well, I'm not giving him anything. But if I'm the dude in the story, I had to give him something, he's not getting a fair half. He's not getting a real share. He's not getting a bulk of, of what I've got approaching me and coming at me with that type of immaturity and foolishness. And I want to tell you this morning, so many Christians are living without accessing all that the Father has for them because they come in an immature fashion, because they come with a desire to waste what God would give them. They come with a desire to waste what what God would bless them with. We have people in our church, I know people around the world who just continue to fall into buckets, uh, bathtubs of cash. Just just boatloads. Just uh, I don't even know people, pastor, I I just I just came into this large chunk of money, and I, I, I didn't know, I'm not sure what I want to do with it, but I just think I should give it all to the church, and so I just decided I'm going to give it all to the church. Now, they don't need to know, I, you know, I do a jig, dance around, run around the house naked, speaking tongues, and roll on the floor but for an hour. But then a month later, three months later, here comes the same story. I didn't realize, I thought I had this much money coming to me. Turned out there was an accounting error. And it was three times more than what I got. Now I got all this extra, not sure, but I think I want to give it. And I, they just keep coming, and it, they go out, and it comes in. God blesses those who know what to do with the blessing. Some people, there's a reason why the 18-year-old should get the keys to the car before the nine-year-old. He should be more ready for it. You, 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 you only give people what you can trust them with. You give it, you, everybody should have chores, everybody should have assignments, but they should be age appropriate. Do you realize some people sitting back wondering why their ship has never come in? You haven't shown the maturity to be able to handle that $50,000 raise, what would you do with it? Because God's not going to give you an extra $50,000 a year if he knows it's going to put you out in the world, messing around, doing stuff that is not going to please him. And we, we want to take what God has for us and then go off on a journey. Here's something you're going to almost always count on in church. When people are going through, when they're hurting, when they're struggling, when, when they've been repoed, when they don't have money for lights, rent, gas, uh, when, when they can't pay their car note, when 
everybody, all their friends have turned their back on them because, you know, once the money runs out, the, those friends run out too, keep living. Uh, and then they all want to come to church. And they want to come to church when they're on the bottom, but as soon as they get both feet back up under them and get two nickels to rub together, guess what? They're gone. They don't need what the Father has for them anymore because they got a couple dollars in their pocket now, and they can move on down the road. Don't, don't be that type of believer. Don't, don't do that if you call God your Father. Don't just be, be looking to Him as your Father when you got your hand out. See, they make cliches in churches for preaching, and people say stuff like, uh, you know, it's gotten to the point where people care more about the gifts than the giver of the gifts. The one giving the gifts is more important than the gifts. And you should be seeking uh, the relationship with the Father, not just for what he can give you. But, but the bad part about what this kid has done wasn't just that he showed disrespect by asking for his inheritance earlier than he should have. The real problem is that when he got it, he left. He shouldn't have got the money up front anyway, but when his dad did what he asked him to do, he took it and he left. I see that happen a lot in churches. People get blessed and they leave. People get blessed and they leave. People ask me, Pastor, does it bother you when people leave abundant life? Not at all. I believe God is sovereign. God has a will and a purpose. It does bother me when people leave abundant life and don't go to church anywhere. I've seen people serve faithfully inside church, leave and stay home. Well, now that bothers me. People who leave a church and go get connected, fall deep in love with God and continue serving Him faithfully at another church and grow higher than they've ever been, I thank God for that. And I believe we played a part in their upward progression. The problem is 99 out of 100 people that I've ever seen leave any church didn't leave and jump right into ministry at the next church and continue growing. They bottomed out and had a bad season. And you should never want to take blessing from God and then go off on a journey away from the Father. He took a journey into a far country. We got people in this room that have done that very thing. You might be here every time the doors are open, but your heart is in a far country. Just because you're here doesn't mean you're here. Just because you're hearing what I'm saying doesn't mean you're hearing me. Just because you're here physically doesn't mean you truly want to be here. See, he got up and left. Some people are still sitting in the same chair, but they really left a long time ago. Let me tell you something. Traveling away from the Father always ends up bad. It doesn't matter how old your father is. It doesn't matter how, how much he has. Real men, I, I, I can tell you this about real men. Real men, differences. Red, yellow, black, white, young, old, macho, less macho, no feminine real men, uh, but there's macho and less macho. Uh, there's loud and less loud. Uh, but real men will always tell you the same thing. There was never a point where I felt comfortable Bowing up my dad and swinging on him. Jim? Yeah, you ever just look around and tell everybody, I'll stomp a mud hole in my dad right now. He's old and frail. I'm grown. That's not a real man. That, that's not how a real man thinks. Don't ever get there because you, know, you don't want that. Uh, trust me. You don't want that. And these kids now, they get a little size on them and they start thinking, I, I bet I could. T-. Listen, 
a real man always has in his mind, dad might have one last punch left in him. And I don't want to catch that in the teeth or the throat. Real men always respect their father. They don't look at it as for, well, he's old now and he can't do for me what he used to do for me, so now I'll just trample all over his love and all over his goodness. This brat took what he had and he left the one that loved him the most. He took what he had and he left the one person that cared about him beyond him caring about himself. When you travel away from the father, it always ends up bad. The Bible says this man wasted his substance with riotous living. He took what the father gave him and he wasted it by living the wrong way. We got people in church doing that. God has given you gifts. God has blessed you. God has given you ability. And you're not using it the right way. Make sure you don't get caught up the way the prodigal son got caught up. The first thing I want you to see this morning, when you journey from the Father, your time and your treasure will be wasted. When you journey from the Father, your time and your treasure will be wasted. People want to play with sin. People want to see how close to the edge they can get without falling into the abyss. People want to see if they can just teeter around with, let's just do a little bit of dirt without getting dirty. Listen, you can't do dirt without getting dirty. Well, I won't get all the way dirty. I tell y'all, like I've told y'all before, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Well, I'm just going to do a little bit of this over here. No, it's going to take you further away than you intended. Well, I ain't going to do it for long. Oh, it's going to keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Well, well, and nobody knows about it, and it ain't hurting them. Oh, it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. There's always a price when you travel away from the Father, and the price will at least be your time and your treasure will be wasted. Some of you used to be closer to God, but you've journeyed away. And I came to tell you today, you're wasting what God has given you by living wrong and living away from the Father. You, you don't have to be out there doing dirt. You don't have to be out there drinking and drugging and whoring around. The fact that you are not loving on your Father every day, the fact that you are not singing praises to Him every day, the fact that you are not cuddled up in His lap telling Him that you love Him means that you have journeyed away from Him, maybe not in your physical presence, but in your emotions and in your mind. Be weary. Be, 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 be careful that you don't journey away from the Father. I want to urge you today, if you know you've been slipping, to come back to God. God allows comebacks. God is looking for you, and He's waiting for you. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 14 of our text. And when He had spent all, comma, Always pay attention to the punctuation. It'll help you understand literature. When he had spent all, comma. You got to stop and think about it. Okay, so he got everything that he was going to get. Listen, let me tell you something. People think it would be better to inherit a lot of money when they're young and can enjoy it. Let me tell you something. You inherit a lot of money when you're young, you will abuse it. You don't believe me, watch these documentaries ESPN runs on the thousands. I was watching one, they scrolled like 3,200 names 
of athletes that they did in this documentary that had all made tens and hundreds of millions of dollars in their career. All of them were broke as a joke and couldn't pay rent. Living in the street, warrants out for their arrest because they couldn't pay their child support. How do you make $240 million in a nine-year career and be broke? You got it when you were young, and you just blew through it. If you give a person older that, I guarantee you this, you, you mess around and, and give that money to somebody in their 60s, they won't blow through it in, in a five-year period. They'll be telling their, their posse and their hangers-on, no, I'm not buying you a, a what? Get on. My third cousin, who? Who You a who? You want me to buy you, invest in your... <laughs> Getting everything that God has for you right now would be disastrous for you. Because we're not mature enough to handle everything God has for us. That's why he gives it to us when we're ready for it. This guy went out. He spent all that he had. Then it says there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. So he comes into this land. Where's this land? Away. Away from his father. Away from a great place to live. Away from the protection his father offered him and the provision his father offered him. He goes to a place where he goes in big bowling. But he spent it all. And then he had nothing. And then the land dried up. And there's nothing, nobody has nothing. So now he goes from a life of privilege to a life of want. Verse 15 says, and when he joined himself to a citizen of that country, he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. The second thing I want you to see this morning is that when you're away from God, things eventually go from bad to worse. Rich kid, spoiled, got everything he needs, but it ain't enough for him. So he wants what he wants. He wants it now. He wants to get gone and go prove he can make it without his father. But when you do that, when you get away from God, things eventually go from bad to worse. That's the bad thing about getting away from God. It doesn't always get bad right off the bat. See, he had a season of big spending. He had a season. Of, listen, I know how it is. Some of y'all know how it is. Most of us didn't grow up in church. We lived in the street and in the world. When you got money and you're at a party, you're the one. Everybody's best friend. Go to that same party next month. And don't come in bringing anything but empty pockets and a handout. Nobody knows you. Nobody cares about you. When you got a nice place on the river and you're throwing big parties every weekend, the whole world's showing up to your joint. Get that thing repossessed. Move into a trailer off Beaver Street. Call all those same people to come bring you some food because you're hungry. Who are you? I think you got the wrong number. Things go from bad to worse. Let, let me tell you something. One, one of... One of the negatives to God's patience is it gives us the wrong concept. Because Christians can be loving God and start to backslide. And because it takes a while for things to get bad, they think in their mind, oh, it's not getting that bad. Sky didn't fall. I'm out here backsliding doing dirt. Nobody's catching me. 
nothing bad's happening. I, I'm okay. No, you're operating under a very kind, loving, patient, heavenly father who hasn't come to make things go from bad to worse, but they will. Say they will. They definitely will. Sometimes it takes a minute. This guy had a season of big spending. Life was going fine. He, He was the life of the party, but as soon as his money ran out, the party ran out. And it went from bad to worse. And he began to be in want. It put him in a position he'd never been in before. And I want to tell you something. If you call yourself a Christian and you start wandering away from God, you will find yourself in a worse position than you've ever been in before. And that's sad because some of us have been in some pretty tight spots. But this dude is in the tightest spot that he's ever been in because he doesn't see his need until he gets in trouble. He doesn't see, oh, my money's running out. I better go get with my financial planner and diversify my portfolio to protect against the coming issues of the economic collapse. No, he doesn't have the maturity to think like that. He doesn't understand as the money is draining out that one day it's all going to be gone. So he runs out, spends through all his money, goes from bad to worse. Now he's in a place he's never been, a place of want. He should have ran home and told his dad, I'm sorry I lost my mind. Please forgive me. Uh, what, what, what do you need me to do today? But the younger brother likes to learn the hard way. So I want you to self-identify this morning because you know who you are. Some people are willing to learn life's lessons from mama and daddy. Some people are willing to learn life's lessons through storytelling. Some people are willing to learn life's lessons through the mistakes of others. Some people enjoy reading and learn life's lessons from books. But there's those other people. And they like to learn life's lessons the hard way. And the thing about these folk, at least they're consistent. They don't have in and out stupidity. They got all day long stupidity. They don't have up and down ignorant. They're just ignorant all the time. They don't have sometimes I learn the hard. No, you learn the hard way all the time. I'll tell you all what I've been telling you. If you're dumb, you better be tough because life's hard on stupid. And this boy is going to learn life lessons the hard way. He went out there. He did wrong. He didn't wake up when the money was dwindling away and come home. He didn't, he didn't miss his dad. He should have been missing his dad. What kind of child doesn't miss their dad? He should have been missing his father. He lived in his father's house every day his whole life. He's gone now. He ought to be missing that time with his father. The Bible says he wasted his substance with riotous living. Took what he had and he wasted it the wrong way. Doesn't see his need till he gets in trouble. Doesn't realize it's going bad and, until it's too late. So he's learning lessons the hard way. If you find your life learning lessons the hard way, I want to tell you something. You ought to realize, I'm the younger brother. Male or female, you need to realize, I'm the immature Christian the Bible warned us about. You should not be learning life's lessons the hard way. You should be learning through your elders. 
You should be learning through your teachers. You need, you need to learn. I, I can remember, I mean, the, when, if you get into a real situation of life and death, you better learn quickly, and you better learn the right way. I can remember when I was in the Army, Fort Dix, New Jersey, 1986, and they were teaching us how to throw a hand grenade. They didn't let one blow up in your hand just so you could learn the hard way. Okay, pull this pin, release that lever, and hold it till it blows up so you can feel how bad that hurts. No. They, they taught you to throw it and get down. And it was funny, Fort Dix, they, they had a window where you could watch the other guys throwing it. You're standing behind glass, uh, plexiglass, and brick wall. Because you don't get to see your own throw. You don't get to stand there and, and, and just rejoice in that great throw and watch your hand grenade explode. Because as soon as you do this and you do that, he dives on your back and shoves you into the ground. And you don't know where your throw went. But they don't allow you to learn the hard way when you're playing with explosives in the Army. Let me, what am I trying to say? Some of y'all need to realize if you're one of those hard way learners, one day it's going to blow up in your face. One day it's going to blow up and you're not going to be able to put back together what it cost you. Learn quickly. Say quickly. The younger brother, he's out there learning life the hard way. He's, he's going from bad to worse. But he doesn't run home. He actually makes the same mistake people make today. Instead of going home right now, he's, he's stubborn. He's ignorant. He's hard-headed. He said, you know what I need? He should have he immediately said, I need my father. But no. I need a partner. Because misery loves what? Misery loves company. Let me get a homeboy. Two's better than one. My dad taught me that. That said in the Bible, two is better than one. So he goes out and he gets him somebody. But he got somebody that didn't know his father. You start hanging around people that don't know your father, you're hanging around the wrong people. My children have heard the same speech from me. Anytime they've ever asked, can I go play at somebody's house? Can I go spend a night at somebody's house? Can I ride to the game with somebody's parents? I don't know them. Do they know me? We got to know each other before we let that go down. You don't, you don't play with people that don't know me. And too many Christians out there are buddying up with people that don't know their father. You got to think about the people you hang out with. Do they know your father? They, and even if they say they do, do they love him? The way you want to love him? Look, look, look at what the younger son's buddy made him do in verse 15. He sent him to the fields to feed swine. Now, Jesus is talking to Jewish people. This is a story about Jewish people. And swine were forbidden to the Jew. If they touched something that a pig had touched, they had to go and bathe, ceremoniously clean themselves because they felt so defiled. This guy is into pig pen slopping hogs. This is the worst imaginable. This is the lowest life in the world. They hated pigs and found them to be disgusting. But here he is. He took his stuff. Things go from bad to worse. His new friend got him doing his dirty work. Watch see how this works out for you. Leave all your little good Christian church friends that love the Father the way you used to. Go hang out with some new people. And let them drag you into their dirt. And you be hanging out in bars with them. Oh, well, I'm, I'm not doing any. Oh, okay. It won't be long before they have you doing 
their dirt. Look at verse 16. It says, And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. This dude is so hungry, he's looking at the pig food, thinking, I'm so hungry I could eat that slop. And nobody was there to help him out. Look at verse 17. And he came to himself and said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. The third thing I want you to see this morning is one day you have to wake up. Say wake up. One day you have to wake up. You're out there slipping and tripping, dodging and dipping. One day you have to wake up. You're out there playing with stuff you know your father don't want you playing with. One day you have to wake up. You're out there not reading your Bible, not saying your prayers, not paying your tithes, giving a free offering. You're out there not serving God at your highest level of commitment. One day you have to wake up. And verse 17 says that this kid came to himself. See, that, that's, that's old school speech. He finally came to himself. He came to what? He came to his senses. He's covered in pig crap. Broke, hungry, light bulb finally goes off. Man, I don't have to be here. You need to understand when you start getting in places that God don't want you to be, hear me good, you don't have to be there. God has better for you. You don't have to be there. God can do better for you than you can do for yourself. He said, I'm going to die in this pig pen away from my family. But look what he decides in verse 18. I will arise and go to my father. And then he works out this speech. Always good to have a speech when you come off a backslide. Listen, kids, you come in late, drugs and alcohol on your breath, you better have a speech. Newsflash, it's not going to work, but you at least need to have a speech. So he got his little speech together in his head. He's going to tell his father, I sinned against heaven and before you and not worthy to be called your son. And he's going to ask his dad, can I just be like one of the servants in the field? But look what happens in verse 20. He arose and came to his father. He gets up out of the pig pen, covering the slop, goes to his daddy's house. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to be merry. The fourth thing I want you to see this morning is when you come to him, he'll come to you. Are you hearing me? When you come to him, he'll come to you. They stole that song. I told you all many times they stole that song. Darling, if you want me to be closer to you, get what? They stole that right out of James. James said, draw near to the Father, and the Father will draw near to you. You want to get closer to God? All you have to do is move in his direction, and he'll move in yours. When, the, when this kid covered in slop decided he's going to go to his father, the father comes to him. Look, look what the father does. The father saw him, had compassion on him, ran to him, fell on his neck, and kissed him. That is not 
what we believe in our mind is going to happen. That is not what we believe in our mind is going to happen. Backsliders don't come into church happy and excited. Back, people have been on a long backslide. They don't just show up and glad to be here. They come back nervous, wondering, who knows my dirt? What have they been saying about me? And are they going to accept me? Listen, don't let raggedy church folk keep you away from God. Because you can't stop what raggedy church folk think, but listen to what the father did. He saw him. If you don't get anything out of this, I want you to understand God sees you. They say Santa sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That ain't true about Santa, but it is about God. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, and the father sees him. And because God is consistent, the Bible says he does things the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he's done for one, he'll do for another. If you ever find yourself away from God, and please don't wait till you're covered in, in swine slop. Please don't wait until your third DUI and you can't never get your license back. Please don't wait and, and, until you, you, your kids have been taken from you from, from the government and, and you, your life is in the toilet and you're homeless. You, you don't, don't get to, some people got to get to the ultimate, ultimate bottom before they look up. Look up quicker than that. But when you look up and you decide, I got to get back to God, God sees you. He, when he sees you moving toward him, this is what he's going to do. He's going to have compassion on you. This is what people aren't expecting. When backsliders come back to church, they're not expecting people to be compassionate toward them. They're expecting to be judged, criticized, and condemned. But that's not God's way of handling them. He's compassionate. Not only is he compassionate, he ran to his son. He didn't have to. He could have sat there. Oh, Junior found his way home. You smell a little funky, boy. What you been doing? He didn't put him through any of those changes. He ran to him and fell on his neck, and he kissed him. See, I, the son was humble and repentant, and this is how I know how. Because when the father received him and loved him, he could have saved his speech and been like, I knew you'd be glad I came home. What's to eat? He had a speech all planned out about I've sinned and I'm not good enough to be your son anymore, but I want to ask you to let me be your servant, because he didn't know how the father was going to take him. If his repentance was false, if he was just coming home because he was tired of sleeping outside and he wasn't really ready to, to repent to his father, he would have saved that speech and just rolled with the punches. But look what he said in verse 21. After he's been ran to, hugged and kissed, and the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Father, I have sinned against heaven. This indicates personal responsibility. This is one of the most lacking things in our world today. People sin, people mess up, people get their self in a trick bag, and they want to blame other people. Well, you made me do that. You made me treat you like that. You made me act like that. You made me say those things. You made me blah, 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 blah. Nobody ever made you do anything. They revealed that that's in you. No, he, he could have... He could have blamed it. Well, the reason I did it is, you know, you know my older brother, and, you know, because, you know, kids love to blame siblings for everything. He could have went in, but he didn't. He took personal responsibility 
Listen, what's happening to Junior? Junior's growing up. Personal responsibility is a sign of maturity. He took personal responsibility, and he said, I sinned against heaven and you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. And then he got cut off by the father. The father didn't want to listen to any more of that. He said, man, y'all go get this kid some clean clothes, some shoes, put a ring on his hand so the whole world will know he's my son. He's not dressed like my son right now. He doesn't look like my son right now. He's living life below a standard that was never meant for him. I want you to know the average Christian is living a standard that was never meant for you. If you call God your father, you're a child of the king. If you call God your father and you believe he has everything, you shouldn't be out there just wallowing around in dirt and in mess and in mire. You, you should be living the life of a royal. You should be living the life of, of, of a person of dignity and character and respect. Verse 21, he humbles, he confesses. Verse 22, the father says, man, hush all that noise and clean, clean up. Put on this robe, put on these shoes, put on this ring because I thought you were gone, but now you're back. And they threw a big party. Fifth thing I want you to see is God wants to throw you a party. So many people think when they've not been doing all that they should, that if they made a comeback, they'd have to stand up and tell everybody all their dirt. This man didn't say who you've been, where you've been, who you've been with, what you've been doing, how long were you there, how many pigs did you touch, how many pigs did you feed, did you eat any of that slop? He just said, I'm glad to have you back. Let's party. People are different than that. People want to know. That's why God's better than people. Some of you have been taking God's blessings for granted and wandered away from the Father. God sent me here today to tell you you ought to come back home. Well, I don't know if I'm ready. How much more dirt do you want on you? Well, I, don't, I, have, I need to clean myself up first before I can come back. No, you don't. The Father going to run to you and hug you and kiss you. Let the Father clean you up. God wants to throw you a party. Some of you wandered away from the Father. You ought to come back home. The longer you stay away, the worse things get. I don't want to see you let your life go from bad to worse. You should come back home now. If you really have to be so immature that you won't turn back to the Father until you find yourself covered in pig crap and starving, then you need to grow up from that today and come back to the Father. I promise you this, if you walk toward Him, He'll run toward you. This is the God we serve. If you'll make a move in His direction, He'll make a move in your direction. You ought to come back home. God wants to throw you a party. He wants to show you that He's happy in you. This is the thing that the backslider doesn't always understand. God's not mad at you. And when you come back to him, he's not mad that you've been gone. He's just happy that you're back. He's a good dad. He's a loving dad. He just wants to throw you a party. It's all he wanted to do before you left. He didn't want to see you in a pig pen. He didn't want to see you without 
He didn't want to see you hurting and struggling, hanging out with bad people, people using and abusing you. That's not his heart. He wanted to protect you from all that. He wanted to give you a party before you left. Too many people wandering away from the Father. This parable is not the parable of the prodigal son. This parable is the parable of the faithful father. Because when that boy came back, his father made it easy on him to come back. That's what love does. That's what real love does. See, real love on the one side comes repentant with a heartfelt speech. Real love on the other side says, I don't need any of that. I just need a hug. I don't know where you are today, but I know this. God loves each one of us. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you don't fit into this story at all. Maybe you're not a son, a child of God yet. You should be. You should be. I talk to a lot of people who claim to be atheists. I talk to a lot of people who claim to be agnostics. I talk to a lot of people who claim they studied religion and decided none of it was for them. And I, I don't believe any of them believe that on the inside. Because I've been around enough people and I know me well enough to know that in me and in every person I've ever met, the God who created us, he left a void on the inside. He left an empty spot on the inside that only he could fill. And this is why we see people going out doing all different types of stuff. They're trying to fill that empty spot. Drugs, alcohol, fame, fortune, money, sex, education, whatever it is. They're trying to scratch that itch that only God can scratch. They're trying to fulfill that emptiness that only God can fill. That's why they get mad when they argue. Because they know deep in their heart there is truth. And they're just mad because they can't find it. And they haven't been able to justify it in their mind. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to tell you something. You don't have to know a whole lot. You don't have to memorize the Bible. You don't have to come to church 20 times. You don't have to give money and offering to become a Christian. The Bible says if you call on the name of the Lord, he will save you. If you ask God to be your Savior, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. That means I believe that Jesus Christ is the one true God. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That shows faith that you believe that as he raised his, him from the dead, he'll raise you from the dead. You can be saved. If you're here and you're not a child of God, I want you to ask God to save you today. I'm not going to ask you to come down front. I'm not going to ask you to, to raise your hand or do any of those things. But if you're, a Christian, if you're not a Christian and you want to get saved today, you don't need to pray with me. You need to pray to God and ask God to forgive you of your sins and save you and be real to you. For the rest of us that are saved, I don't know anybody at all that hasn't wandered some bit from God. We need to get back in God's arms. We need to approach him so he will run to us. We need to come to him with a repentant speech of I've sinned and I'm sorry. 
and let him throw his arms. Some of you haven't felt God throw his arms around you in a long time, maybe ever. You need to come to him with personal accountability. You need to come to him with repentance and a desire just to be with him. And let him show you what it feels like to have his arms around you. And let him kiss your neck and throw a party for you. This is the gracious, kind, loving, patient, good father who saved us from ourselves and adopted us into his family so that we could have all that he has for us. Please don't go in the pig pen of the world anymore. Please don't keep straying away from the God that loves you. Please don't take his blessings for granted. And don't ever find yourself outside his house. In his house, he makes sure everything works right. In his house, there's safety, there's protection, and there's provision. But if you wander away from that, it's just a pig pen. And people that don't mean you any good. God is faithful. He accepts back everyone who comes back. You just got to decide, do you want to come back to him? Or do you want to drift away from him? Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness, for your love. I thank you that you are slow to anger and ready to pardon. God, please forgive us of our sins. Heal us from all our diseases. Cleanse our minds. And let our thoughts and our words and our actions honor you. Lord, I pray for each person in this room today that's unsaved, that you would pour your love out on them and save them supernaturally. I pray you fill us with the Holy Ghost, God, and empower us to live faithful lives. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you for providing a place for us. Thank you for making a way for us. Help us, God, to never be so immature that we want to take what is yours and walk away from you. Help us to stay close to you all the days of our life. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for being willing to throw us a party. We're glad to be here, and we're glad to have you as our dad. Thank you for what you did on Calvary's cross to make it possible for us to even be in relationship with you. Please help us to be more thankful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.